0: 2023 was a year to remember in film. Let's do our annual Raiders of the Lost Oscars ceremony. What's up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. And this is the yearly episode where we pick our Oscar winners. This is our awards. Raiders of the Lost Oscars. Let's do this. Let's so go. 2023 was an incredible year for film. We had massive hits, some of the biggest movies of the century, some of the best movies of the century, and just great independent film from studios like A24, as well as just Universal, Killing It with Oppenheimer, we have Barbie with Warner Brothers, just, it was a great year at the box office for many studios, some studios, it was not a great year, uh-uh. but we overall, we got an excellent spread of amazing, a buffet, <laughs> a buffet of great filmmaking all year, like, all year really, yeah. from beginning to end. And even Apple TVs in the mix with Killers of the Flower Moon. This is one of their best films that they've ever produced. And I think that this is the strongest year we've seen for cinematography in a few years. The cin- cinematography, it's even hard to choose a winner, but all five nominees are very deserving. As well as this is a really great cat- year for lead actor, also lead actress. Lead actress could go multiple ways at the actual Oscars. We have our pick... And they're obviously having favorites, but you never know what happens when we open those envelopes, Anthony. Yeah, exactly. We never know what happened. And directing, I mean, we got Yorgos Lanthimos, Jonathan Glazer, Justin Trier, uh obviously Chris Nolan, Scorsese. Like what a great mix of films and filmmakers from all over the world. Just amazing. And this international feature films, we got great picks. Makeup and hairstyling, it's great. Music, we had some great, incredible original scores as well as the icon the legend john williams getting nominated for a 600th oscar (laughs) (laughs) do you have the most nominations in history he could have the most nominations in history it's possible i'll still look into that but i'm not sure It's got to be like 15 or 16 at this point he's i think he's over 20 nominations over 20 yeah definitely over 20. holy crap he's made made a couple good songs yeah he's made some good stuff walt disney had a lot of nominations as well yes walt disney did have because he was like a producer a writer director director yeah yeah, he's a cool dude. Yeah, he was <laughs> <laughs> built an empire and it's changed a lot. But you know, this is one of my favorite episodes we do every year because we get to pick the winners. Because I, I I love watching the Oscars, I like watching the Baftas. But then sometimes people win, or sometimes don't, people don't win. And I'm like, why? It's not why? my Oscars. Like, why hasn't Christopher Nolan won a Best Director Oscar yet? Why? I, yeah, and it's. I mean, every year there's snubs, and every year. There's like that one movie that doesn't get a lot of love. I think this year is The Iron Claw. And last year, the year in 2022, obviously Decision to Leave didn't get any awards love. So We gave it a ton of love. We gave it Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Editing. Yeah, Editing was And I think we gave it Best Picture too. But we nominated it for a lot of categories. As it deserved to be nominated for. But this year is just a really incredible year all around for film. I don't see 2024 competing with 2023 at all at all not even close uh, Takeaway dune Part 2 this year is a wash it's a wash <laughs> already a wash <laughs> <laughs> especially with Bong Joon Host film coming out in 2025 now I know I'm so bummed because Mickey 17 was supposed to come out I mean Mickey 7 the post yeah. of Mickey 17 Mickey 7 was supposed to come out in March yes. originally 2024 but now it's been pushed to January 2025 <laughs> we still got Gladiator 2 we still have Nosferatu we yeah. have lots of bangers coming yeah, out yeah Nosferatu year. I have high hopes for very excited about maybe a horror film can get some Oscars love Maybe, maybe like production design and, and wardrobe and costume and stuff like that. Speaking of horror, there I don't think 2023 was the super a super strong year for horror. No, I was compared to 2020, yeah. it was 2022. was certainly a strong year for horror. 2023 was kind of weak year for horror. Yeah, it was kind of a weak year for horror. There were a couple of good ones, but overall, I mean, 2022 was a really great year for the horror genre. There were five very good horror movies in yeah. 2022. That's some, that's the thing that was missing this year. Horror that was really missing. They emptied the magazine. I missed, I missed order. 2022, But we got plenty of Horror filmmakers coming out this year. But let's get into our Radius of a Lost Oscar. Now we're going to do the awards in the same order as the Academy does uh, with their nominations. And we're using, if we didn't say before, we're using the nominees of the Oscars. So we're not nominating our own things. We're doing their nominees and p- picking our winners based upon the Academy's voting. Yes. If the new. And I were just like too lazy to come up with our own <laughs> nominees. So we just took it from the Academy and their nominees. <laughs> we stole it. So it's basically. I literally sh- copy and pasted from their website. It's, it's basically the Oscars, except me and Anthony are on stage and we are picking the awards. Honestly, that would be a good show. That would be an entertaining. That as would be fuck a show. great show. Oscars, hit us up. Come if on. you want us to host We would show, crush it. We would get so many views. It would be so funny. Yeah. We would crush the fucking shit out That'd of that. Be a blast, man. Oh, man. We get highest should ratings. should recommend us. Honestly, Someone, yeah. some recommend us to the Oscars for hosting their show. Honestly. I know we don't have much street cred in Hollywood right now, but you know, people are gonna watch no matter what. But people once once they, once we get talking and get a couple jokes in, people will be like, "Oh, this is actually entertaining for once." Wow, well, funny show! <laughs> oh, people are having a good time! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the first category of actor in a leading role: Best Actor. Best Actor. Not the worst. The best. The best actor. Not just Not the okayest. ambiguous actor in the leading Not role. Not the pretty good actor in the leading role. Who was roles? an actor in the leading role this year? <laughs> we'll give an award to someone. All right. The nominees, as I said, are very strong. We have Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Great job, everybody. Amazing, amazing work gentlemen, from these work. incredible gentlemen. It's a tough category because... Obviously, Killian's a frontrunner, but Bradley and Maestro, Paul Giamatti, the holdovers, Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction, everyone did a great job, Domingo and Rustin. So, I mean, I know who my favorite is, but I, I think just... I I, I so want to say, I, I think Bradley Cooper just got so much unwarranted uh, hate and... People were just mocking him all over the internet for it was months. Weird. Maestro was a weird reaction for fans. Yeah, I'm not and, sure about you know, I'm not I don't audiences. understand the reaction to it because I thought he was brilliant. People were making like jokes about like how committed he was. Like, let the guy commit to a role and he's an actor. And it's he really did conduct the orchestra and that was just an amazing achievement. And I found the directing and the acting and the cinematography of Maestro to be incredible and absolutely astounding and very impressive. And I think that Bradley is has solidified his status as one of the most artistic directors working in Hollywood to this day with Maestro. It's really an unbelievable achievement all around from him, and I, I was so impressed with him, and I'm so happy that he he pulled it off, and he made a different kind of biopic film, which is why I think people didn't react well to it, but you can't deny the guy is so talented, and his performance was unbelievable. And Paul Giamatti is the holdover. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite performances of the year. His career best, hands down. Yeah terrific in this movie and did you know that the the lazy eye was fake it was a contact lens because there's a yeah. lot of confusion people think he's like wait does he actually have a lazy eye it's a, it's a lens so it's not real i will say after i watched the film I, I looked through uh photos of him i was like does he have a real lazy eye I know, it looks don't like, maybe he does <laughs> he said that his childhood best friend who he's known for like 40 years and still is best friends with saw the film was like and his friend was like does you Do you really have a lazy well, eye? Never, never I never noticed it. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> All right, it, it but only so well. one actor can win. Only one. This category, Anthony. Who is it? We have I Am Become Death, Destroyer of Worlds, Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. It's an otherworldly performance. I put it in the, the top five performances of the century so far. It's that impactful, that powerful. Uh, he's always had the potential to lead a film of this magnitude and create a performance that audiences around the world would love. Uh, he already did something like of the sort with Peaky Blinders, but to see him working on this scale uh, with this kind of artistic virtuosity, I think that Killian was just absolutely otherworldly as uh, Robert Oppenheimer. Let's move into our next category, Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Get For the nominees, voice. we have Sterling K. Brown from American Fiction, Robert De Niro from Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Another tough category. This is a stacked one. Absolutely stacked. We have one of the best all time with De Niro here. Gosling getting an Oscar nomination. Downey, who's been nominated a few times but has never won. Sterling K. Brown is terrific in American fiction. Mark Ruffalo is a delight in Poor Things. He was so funny. He's so funny in that. He's, He's hysterical so hysterical in that role. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> 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 His accent is really terrific. So I think these are all deserving nominees, and especially Ryan Gosling for Barbie because he was such an entertaining part of that film. And he was so committed to it. He really he was. Put, he put everything into it, and he was and, a perfect Ken. And De Niro, he brought it in Killers. He brought that fucking shit, man. He was all over the place, and he was incredible in that movie. Absolutely earth shattering performance. The winner for Best Actor. In a supporting role, finally, Robert Downey Jr. wins an Academy Award or Raiders of the Lost Oscar. It's the Raiders of the Lost Oscar, yeah. W- wins a Raider- Congrats, Robert. Don't don't clap too loud into the mic. People are listening on headphones and stuff. <laughs> Sorry everybody for Anthony messing up your eardrums right now. <laughs> I just got so excited. He's just like punching the microphone with his hands. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is absolutely sensational in Oppenheimer. He's an all-time actor. I f- just feel like the 21st century because of doing so many MCU movies, being the face of the MCU, a lot of people maybe forgot how good of an actor he was. Not that he's not Grace Tony Stark, but he is insanely talented. And obviously before the 21st century, he was in so many incredible roles and he was nominated for Chaplin, which he could have won for sure. But I'm so happy to see Robert Downey Jr. finally win an Oscar for an incredible performance as Louis Strauss. Yeah, I saw an interview with him where he was saying that of all the awards he hoped he would win, the Raiders of the Lost Oscar was the top of its list. I saw that. It was on Variety, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have actress in a leading role. A very talented set of actresses. Here we have Annette Bening with Niad. Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro. And Emma Stone for Poor Things. Another... Incredible list of performers. People that really struck to me were Sandra Huller in Anatomy of a Fall. I, I saw both of her films in one day. I saw Anatomy of a Fall in the morning, and then I saw The Zone of Interest at night on the same day. It's a big day. It was quite the double feature. How were you emotionally after watching both of those? I was. I don't, I don't know. I can't even describe it. You were the shell of a human being. <laughs> you just had nothing inside of you anymore. <laughs> uh, and it's just it was amazing to see her with such varied performances and such uh, contrasting tones uh, as a performer, it was just uh, incredible to see that on screen from her. She's going to blow up in a big way the next few years. I M- going for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Mulligan is sensational to no surprise in Maestro. And I really do think she completely immersed herself and disappeared into that role. It didn't even feel like I was watching Carrie Mulligan on screen. You know what I mean? And then Lily Gladstone being obviously uh, the centerpiece and the heart of Killers of the Flower Moon really drives home... Uh, the grief and the guilt, and makes the audience connect to that entire indigenous community that was affected. And Emma Stone in Poor Things um, was nothing short of like a miracle of physical performance, of tonal performance, of uh, of a vocal performance. Just she just did everything in the utility belt of an actor, and she was able to work with such a large spectrum um, from being childlike and babylike to being a fully fledged adult. Uh, with intelligence, and uh, I just found the transformation of the character to be unbelievable, and she really, I, in my opinion, this is her best performance of her career. One of the most interesting characters in the year for cinema was Bella Baxter. Just completely wipe a, a human being clean, and then just reset button. Like, mm-hmm. what would ha- what would happen with them? Yeah. Really interesting. Is that a weakness of men? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and the winner for Best Actress in a Leading Role for the Raiders of the Lost Oscars, is Emma Stone. Congratulations, Emma. <laughs> it's a lighter clap. We can just do a clap sound effect from now on. Oh, yeah, yeah, do a clap track. Yeah, a clap Woo! track. Well, you're editing this episode, so you can do a clap track. Emma Stone, congratulations for winning the prestigious award of Raiders of the Lost Oscar. Put it at the top of her shelf above her other Academy Award, i sure. Put it in front of the Oscar. Yeah, yeah, it's more important. And, you know, she's absolutely sensational in this movie, and she's had such a career full of incredible roles and performances but I mean Bella Baxter and the poor things is so memorable and it's something that as uh, the weeks have passed since I saw the film and seeing the rest of the performances I'm like Emma Stone really was incredible as Bella Baxter incredible incredible let's move on to our next category best actress in a supporting role the nominees are Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple America Ferrara for Barbie Jodie Foster for NIAID, and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, a stacked category. Some all-timers on here. Jodie Foster's an all-time great actor. Oh, yeah. She's up there, and we all know her. She's such an inco- iconic actor. And Emily Blunt is one of the best actors of her generation, for I don't sure. like your tone. <laughs> I don't Brooks, like your phrase. incredible in the musical The Color Purple. America Ferreira had that great monologue in Barbie, and just a great role as well. And then Divine Joy Randolph, just an excellent Boston accent and an excellent performance in The Holdovers. I believe it's Devine. Devine, sorry. Yeah. Devine Joy Randolph. Thank She's you not subscribe now. Thank you for the correction. <laughs> but there could only I, be one winner. Yeah, I, I loved all these performances. and I, I was shocked to see that Emily Blunt, this was her first nomination for an Oscar. Was it really? It's her first time being nominated. You would think she would have more. It seems like a no brain that she'd have like several nominations. She's so good. Yeah surprise wow. me too pretty shocking yeah. because she's such she probably has a ton of BAFTA nominations oh I'm sure yeah she must have BAFTAs but there can only be one winner for best actress in a supporting role and this is going to Devine Joy Randolph for The Holdover is really the heart of that film yeah you know there's three main characters in the movie and her character has gone through so much trauma and grief but also has a positive spin on life still and tries to keep pushing forward and And Randolph was so terrific in this role. And when it comes to Boston accents, it's not easy to pull it off. And we've heard a lot of crappy Boston accents. Even in The the Departed, there aren't a bunch of great... There's some questionable Boston accents. But Mm -hmm. I think it's one that's tough to do authentically to people from Massachusetts to pick up on and be like, that's really solid. I think she did a really terrific job. It sounded like she was from... Like West Roxbury, Boston. I'm going to need you to drive me to Roxbury. Yeah, exactly. There are varieties of the Boston accent too. Yeah. And she she honed in on a very specific one. Yeah. Then the thing about The Holdovers is it's a comedy, but it's also a tragedy. And the characters are all defined by their own tragic backstories leading into the beginning of this film. And hers is, it's hard, it's like hers is definitely the most tragic. And it's, uh, what I loved about The Holdovers, it was like I was watching three real human beings. And they felt like true, authentic people uh, in this story. Which, as a testament to all three performers, just really, they had an incredible chemistry. I wouldn't be surprised if they win the SAG for Best Ensemble, even though it's only three actors. But that's how good they are in this film together, bouncing off each other and working as a trio. Once the the movie gets going, it's really just them three. And I adored all of them on screen together. And she, in a lot of ways, was the glue and the heart of the film. Great, great performance. All right, next up, we have the category of Best Animated Feature Film. First up, we have The Boy and the Heron from Hayao Miyazaki and Toshio Suzuki. Elemental from, from Peter Soln and Denise Ream. Nimona from Nick Bruno, Troy Quain, Karen Ryan and Julie Zachary. Robot Dreams from Pablo Berger, Ibon Cormenzana, Ignasi Estape and Sandra Tapia Diaz. And then, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse from Kemp Powers, Justin K. Thompson, Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and Amy Pascal. Very strong category this year. Mm-hmm. But there can only be one. Only There can only be one winner. You can't say every category. Highlander! <laughs> <laughs> can only be one. <laughs> Best animated feature film. We're giving the Raiders of Lost Oscar to Spider-Man Across the, the Spider-Verse. Uh, it's just, I, I think, in terms of the sheer magnitude of The creativity of the animation, it was a really stunning set of uh, beautiful artistry that I saw on screen that I've never seen anything like it before in my life. It really was groundbreaking, and being a person who isn't devoted to animation, I found myself to be just floored by what I was seeing in terms of the scale and the spectacle and the visual feast of it, plus a very good story, a very charming cast, and led into a really fun uh, finale cliffhanger leading into the third film whenever that comes out Whenever it does i don't think we're gonna get it this year but across the spider-verse was an epic second film in this trilogy empire strikes back-esque film from the filmmakers and across the spider-verse was excellent visually stunning and the best anime feature of the year but it was close close second to the boy and the heron i think was a front runner for us for a little while it was it's just an excellent movie from Miyazaki, but you can't get Jordan give Jordan the MVP every year, can you? Can't give Michael Jordan the MVP every year, man. <laughs> can't do it. Gotta give it to Carl Malone sometimes. Carl <laughs> Malone. <laughs> he won it one year over Jordan. Yeah. Everyone was like, What? <laughs> even Carl was like, what? I didn't uh, know cool. <laughs> Remember run. that Jazz Bulls rivalry oh, for like man. five years? Oh, the nineties! It was being good. a kid watching John Stockton. Oh my God, watching NBA playoffs in the nineties as a kid was, it was nothing the best like it. NBA Jam. What, what a time to be alive! And Jazz versus Bulls. Nineties NBA was peak. NBA. Fucking a, man. peak NBA. Fucking a. Let's move on to one of our favorite categories on Raiders of the Lost Oscars: Best Cinematography. And like Eddie said at the beginning of the film, this is maybe one of the toughest categories to choose from because so many visually stunning movies. Our nominees are El Conde or Edward Lachman for El Conde, Rodrigo Prieto for Killers of the Flower Moon, Matthew Libatique for Maestro, ho- Hoita van Hoytema, Soft ho- Hoida. Hoida Van Hoitema for Oppenheimer. Nice. And Robbie Ryan for Poor Things. And you could have thrown in so many others in here. Yeah. Uh, Mateo from the the cinematographer from The Iron Claw. Yeah. You could have put him in here. Linus Sandgren from Saltburn. Yeah. Or Matthias. Did, in, yeah. And then yeah. So many great yeah. films that just looked terrific this year. And mm-hmm. it was a very strong category, not just for these nominees, but again, you could throw in five other movies that would be deserved for this and award. Also, a bunch of these films shot on film. Mm-hmm. Poor Things, Oppenheimer, and Maestro shot on film. Kills of the Flower Moon shot partially on film, and then even Iron Claw shot on film. Saltburn shot on film. So film very much is still alive and still desired by filmmakers for creating something special and something that is timeless in its quality and its feel. And I just for I think in the late 2010s there was so much fever for digital technology, and it looks like a lot of filmmakers and even audiences are craving more film. Uh, especially those who understand the difference. And so I'm so happy to see so many films that were shot on actual celluloid to be nominated, and that were also some of the best films of the year that didn't get nominated. And I just got to say, I mean, what Matthew Libatique did in Maestro was phenomenal. Just the first 10 yeah. minutes of that movie. Is Incredible just camera pulls your hair back. And just there's everything was done with so much intention and so much uh, intention. Uh, it, they weren't just shooting coverage. They were shooting And having the camera tell the story just as much as the story and the dialogue, which is just phenomenal. Um, Hoida Van Hoitema is really one of the greatest DPs of all time, especially the last 10 years of his career. And he's done everything from digital to film. I mean, he shot Spike Jonze's Her with digital, made that look incredible. Never seen a film shot digitally like that before. And then he's shooting with IMAX celluloid uh which is just insurmountably incredible and massive and the the scale of it and the information there it just is really beautiful but it's not just the quality but like the way he shot Oppenheimer it was just astounding and every decision that he and Nolan made was perfect and uh i think that they transitioning from black and white to color it just worked so beautifully for the story and again that film cinematography had so much to add to the storytelling and there's just so many great Great looks. And you then, can just shoot with seventy millimeter or sixty-five millimeter film on on set. Yeah, an IMAX film, but just because you're doing that doesn't mean it's going to look great. But Hoyda knows yeah. how to take advantage of the medium and use it so effectively. He just uh, the Variety just did a twenty-minute interview with him on YouTube. Check it out. I watched it last night. Great insight into his uh, process on that film. And then Poor Things from Robbie Ryan using different film stocks, aspect ratios, colors. It was just a visual feast of camera work camera yeah. uh, warped lenses yeah fisheye lenses. fish eyes it's, yeah it's really creative but that's sort of just uh something that yorgos does in a lot of his mm-hmm. movies just yeah. interesting extremely camera. extremely wide yeah just like i don't know where there's a fisheye lens and you're like i haven't seen this ex- since like a gopro video but then you look at the <laughs> the approach to the cinematography everything in the first act bella baxter is off most of the time shot from a low angle i mean from a high angle no, from a low angle. Most of that f- the first act, the black and white footage, it's all shot from a low angle from like the perspective of a child. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's black and white is because she still doesn't know much about the world at all. And then becomes more colorful and very saturated as she explores the world. And then the lens starts reaching her eyeline and then even going above her sometimes. So it, it's a great translation of the metaphors and parallel, paralleling what's happening with her character transformation. And the winner of Best Cinematography at the Raiders of Lost Oscars ceremony is Hoide Van Hoytema for Oppenheimer. Just an epic in every sense of the word. One of the best shot films of the century. It's just sensational what he pulled off. And it visually, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it before in my entire life. And like I said, just really taking advantage of the 65mm film on set from IMAX and just using it to its fullest potential mm-hmm. and capturing some of the most incredible imagery I've seen in my life, whether we're dealing with, the explosion or just intense beautiful close-ups or just the the nuclear realm yeah the atomic realm of matter is really sensational even i mean a, a goosebumps moment was uh the shot of the helicopter shot in the clouds yeah with that beautiful huge imax frame it was just unbelievable like i just like got goosebumps when that <laughs> shot <laughs> Thanks, man. (laughs) All right. Next up, we have the category for best costume design. Nominees are Jacqueline Durand for Barbie, Jacqueline West for Killers of the Flower Moon, Janny Yates and Dave Crossman for Napoleon, Ellen Mirochnik for Oppenheimer, and Holly Waddington for Poor Things. Really incredible set of nominees. Uh, With Oppenheimer, it was extremely accurate and it made you feel immersed and like you were really in that period. Although it's not as flashy as other films. Uh, Napoleon was phenomenal. Costume design. From the soldiers to the aristocrats to uh, the poor. Just really great work. Napoleon's hat. (laughs) Napoleon's hats. Those huge hats. And then Killers of the Flower Moon. Sensational. To see both that area of the country's period setting looks. And then also the indigenous costuming. Just wonderful to see Barbie. I loved the use of actual Barbie outfits from the past, from the toys. And then just creating iconic memeified looks like everything Ken wore, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then poor things was just, just as creative as the, the filmmaking was in the performances were. Uh, Holly Waddington, she just got to have fun with it and, it, I saw great interviews with her talking about how Yorgos was just like he trusted me to just do what I wanted and express uh, my creativity, no matter how absurd it got. And it's every outfit suited the world perfectly. And some of Bella's looks were just some of the my favorites of the year by far. It just seems like a dream job for a costume designer. That mm-hmm. movie, poor things, just do whatever you want, be as elaborate as you know, in- interesting and, and fun as you can be. Absolutely. Yes. So. The winner for best costume design from 2023 was, is Holly Waddington for poor things. For all the things we just said. <laughs> Congrats, Holly. Dream yeah, come true. Just the dresses that Bella wore. Every scene, she's in a different beautiful dress. I'm like, this is like one of the best parts of the movie is the costume design. hundred percent. And this, the suits uh, for the male actors were phenomenal. And then I love the the lab outfits of Willem Dafoe mm-hmm. in, the char- in that character. It just It's just like one of those dream jobs of I can get as creative as possible in a movie. Mm-hmm. Why not? Absolutely. Let's move into our next category. We have a big one. A biggie. Best directing. Our nominees are Justine Triott for Anatomy of a Fall. Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon. Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things. And Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. Uh, Incredibly stacked list. We have all timers on here. Martin Scorsese arguably, possibly the greatest director in the history of cinema. The history of American cinema. Jonathan Glazer, who's just been a regular staple of consistent filmmaking and, and excellent filmmaking. Yorgos, one of the most interesting filmmakers in the world. No one has a voice like him. <laughs> he's so cool. Justine Triette, Anatomy of a Fall, was one of my favorite films of the year. What a movie. What a picture. What a picture. And daddy, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> of course he's going to get nominated for Oppenheimer. Zaddy. <laughs> Jonathan Glazer's not as consistent. He's only made like four movies. No, but like every one of his movies. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. They're like, all great. Yeah, like you can depend on his movies to be very good. Yeah, great point. That's what I meant. Okay, I'm not saying like he's really Scott. Put he's like a prolific. Movie every two years. Every year. No, I mean like every time he's got a movie, you know it's going to be a banger. Uh-huh. You know it's going to be excellent. I gotta say, out of all the categories this year, this is probably what I think is the most accurate for nominees. Yeah, I would say that too. I don't think a single deserving director was left out. I think every one of these nominees is perfect. It's a, it's a pretty good category. Yeah, they did a good job with this category. They're all phenomenal. It's great to see Justin Trey in this because she just blew the doors off the off the chain with uh, An Ami of a Fall. and the, It's not just the she screenplay. blew the doors off the chain? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. However that phrase goes. Yeah, they invented an idiom. I yeah, like it. It's my idiom. <laughs> blew the doors blow off Blow that the door chain. off that chain. <laughs> you got that chain there. Guess what? The doors are getting blown off. <laughs> Justin Trey's here to blow them off. Ha <laughs> ha and then scorsese proving that he's he's still just the goat still got it from the 60s to now he's still making the best films of of the year whenever he makes a film yeah and that's one other filmmaker can say that so many other great filmmakers had drop-offs but like to be making this films at this scale and the quality for this is his 60th year making movies Started in late '60s, something like that. Yeah, around there. It's a six de- six decades. So six the decades. '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s, tens. I mean, zeros, tens. Seventh year, seventh decade seventh of making decade. films. He yeah. <laughs> he made one of the best ones of the year. He's never. Is that stop. crazy? He's always going to be making movies. Yeah, they should like uh, they should freeze his head like Walt Disney one, and then try to re reanimate him. Well, whatever the billionaires are going to be using soon to prolong <laughs> life, just give it to Scorsese. Yeah, give it to Marty. And uh, I mean, just everybody just floored me. Uh, someone who I thought also did an amazing job was Bradley Cooper. Um, but you can't you can't nominate everyone. Sean Dirk in the yeah, Iron Claw. Yeah, You can't nominate everyone. Um, I think this is just a really great list of filmmakers. And it's so exciting to see um, this mix in this bunch. But and there can only be one. The winner of Best Directing at the Raiders of the Lost Oscars goes to Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. His best film what a remarkable achievement in filmmaking and artistry and what a vision to have. Probably the best biopic ever made and also one of the most successful rated R movies ever as well. It's incredible to take the story of the creator of the project behind the atomic bomb and make a movie that's so entertaining and engaging and, and well-made and, and artistic and still Take the world by storm with it, and almost scores a billion dollars with it. Rated R. That's absurd. That just doesn't happen unless Christopher Nolan makes the movie. He's that remarkable of a filmmaker. It's a landmark. Congratulations. A if landmark. He doesn't win an Academy Award for this. I'm fucking never watching the Oscars for again. For real. Never watching the Oscars again. He better. He also better get a standing ovation when he wins. He should. He deserves. They he, didn't give him one at the Golden Globes. I was like, no standing o, no standing o. Come on, guys. Because they all hate him. They're no, all they jealous. All, no, no, they all no, love him. No, but they all, all love him. No, they're all jealous. No one's jealous of Chris Nolan. He's deserving. No one's jealous of Chris Nolan? When he, he because he's someone who who built his success because he earned it. Yeah, but the word envy exists, Anthony. People it, yeah. feel feelings. You don't think anyone's jealous of Chris Nolan? No, well, I'm, I'm talking about anyone in that room. I bet you 95% of the room are jealous of Chris Nolan. Really? Did you yes. ask them? Did you ask them? Did you ask them? I don't have to. It's Hollywood. <laughs> all anyone cares about is success. Everybody loves Chris Nolan. I know they love him, but that doesn't mean they can't be jealous of him. I'm fucking jealous of Chris Nolan, aren't you? No. That's fucking... No, because I think he earned it all. I'm not saying... That doesn't mean... It doesn't take away from earning it. Do you understand what jealousy is? I understand. I'm not jealous of Chris Nolan. (laughs) How can I be jealous of someone who just did... He's just been done doing amazing work. What? what, what? I'm not jealous of that. I'm just saying that... You're you're (laughs) saying that an entire room of people in Hollywood aren't jealous of his success. No. You're you're crazy man. I'm not. You are. Not. Uh, you think very highly of Hollywood. No, no. I just think that when someone's like someone like that, it's like who's jealous of Steven Spielberg? Everybody. No one's jealous. What are you saying? Everybody. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Like <laughs> that's amazing. I wish I could do that. Yeah, but I don't think anyone's jealous. Everyone respects it. Being jealous doesn't mean you don't respect somebody, though. Yeah, it does. Jealousy is a negative emotion, and it ties not into necessarily. Anybody. Yeah. You can have both. You can respect the hell out of some be like, "Mom, man, I wish that, I wish I was Spielberg." No, I, don't, I wish I wish I could have made movies like Spielberg. Like, okay, there might be a couple people in that room jealous, but, couple, <laughs> but you're saying everybody is jealous, which I don't think is true at all. Quite a bit. I said 95. percent You said everyone in that room. Run it back. You said, I said everyone I said, in I said that 95%. room. 95. And you said you just said everyone in that room Probably. is jealous. You just said that. <laughs> you said nobody's jealous. No, I don't think people are jealous of Chris Nolan. That's crazy. In that room. I think everyone's like, this guy deserves the world. This is You amazing. can do both. <laughs> you can do both. I don't think so. I disagree. <laughs> it's Hollywood, I disagree. It's Uncut Jebs. Too- I disagree. It's, too- it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood, <laughs> it's- I disagree. You think way too highly of Hollywood. I don't think highly Let's of Hollywood. Let's move on to the next category. <laughs> <laughs> the Anyways, <laughs> moving on to film editing. <laughs> Our nominees for the category are Lauren Technical for Anatomy of a Fall. I butchered that. Oh, Leron. Sorry, Leron. <laughs> it's got the T at the end. Uh, we got Kevin Tent for The Holdovers. Thelma Shoemaker for Killers of the Flower Moon. Jennifer Lame for Oppenheimer. And Yorgos Mavprosaridis. Those Greek names, man. Mavprosaridis. There we go. I got, I got pretty close. Again, another great year for editing. Uh, Thelma Shoemaker has been editing Marty's films since they were in school together. It's just a long-time collaboration, and she's just as much a part of his filmmaking as he is. Uh, so many great—I mean, Anamio of Fall was expertly crafted. Very precise um, film. And it's just like every shot, every edit really mattered. Uh, the holdovers, very subtle and very minimalist and slow with its pace but for the, for a great reason. And then your poor things. Uh, Yorgos had just so much great footage to work with. It was such a delight. And I really enjoyed everything about that movie. Uh, Jennifer Lame, uh, her use of... she, I mean, she had four different film stocks to work with and aspect ratios changing. And yet she never made it feel like you were seeing the change happening. It really flowed so beautifully. And it's a dense story. It's almost three hours long. But it flew by. It, it just flew by. Like when it ended the first time I watched it, I was like, I was like that was almost three hours. That's, that didn't even feel like it. Just because the pacing was perfect. And she kept it entertaining, even though 90% of the film was just scientists talking in rooms or politicians talking in rooms. And it was just like an incredible feat of editing. And I think that this is just going to go down as an all-time for that category. Well said. Thanks. I thought I messed up at the end there. I kind of <laughs> trailed off. We all, we're all waiting for a bated breath for <laughs> you to finish, man. <laughs> no, they fast forwarded. <laughs> <But> I did. <laughs> In your brain. Do you have anything to add? No, what? I said great stuff. No. Okay. Yeah. So, the winner for best editing at Rangers of Lost Oscars is Jennifer Lane for Oppenheimer. Bravo. Bravo. Incredible. For everything Anthony said. Yeah. You know, it, it's a difficult film to edit. Like you said, four different film stocks. Three hour long, runtime, jumping around different time periods mm-hmm. from Oppenheimer's youth to his elderly age. Yeah. It's really incredible what she pulled off. Really, really terrific editing. Big time. Our next category is Best International Feature Film. We have Io Capitano from Italy. Perfect Days from Japan. In case you don't know. Yo Capitano means the captain. No big deal. Society of, Sno- Society of the Snow from Spain, which is actually uh, the second time that movie's been made. It's a remake. I think it's the third time it's been made. Is it the third time? I think it was a miniseries, too. That's right. It could be the second time, though. The Teacher's Lounge in Germany. And the Zone of Interest from the United Kingdom. All incredible additions this to the board. year of cinema. Yeah, stack. Tough choice, tough yeah. decisions all over the world right here. And, you know, I think there's a couple favorites and Front Runners, but Society of the Snow is maybe one of the most interesting stories because it's based on real events. And, it might be the most watched of this list. And that's a Netflix film, mm-hmm. streamer, Io Capitano from Italy, also a sensational, Perfect Days in Japan. Japan's been killing it the last several years in, in film. But the winner of Best International Feature Film at Raiders of Lost Oscars is The Zone of Interest. One of the most remarkable films of the year. So well-directed and so well-crafted. Really, really interesting filmmaking in terms of hiding dozens and dozens of cameras in this house, in this location. Exteriors, interiors, inside walls and attics and floors. And not letting the actors know where the cameras are, especially the child actors not really knowing where they are at all. And just kind of capturing the feel of the family in, in the mood of their environment and atmosphere make it feel as realistic as possible almost not like a movie but like you're just watching a life you're watching a family you're watching real life almost at the same time as it being an insanely interesting story yeah because there's really no the camera doesn't move at all yeah i don't think there's a single camera movement in the film it's just static wides uh there's no close-ups at all many over the shoulder shots or or shots of character's backs as well which is really interesting filmmaking yeah glazer he he created this like tone of uh like you're voyeuristically watching this family from afar and it's not really like you're watching a story unfold you're just watching uh, a a place in a period at a very specific moment in time and i think that not showing the camp was an incredible decision as well but hearing the camp that was where the power of the film came from where and and I, this movie is just a great exercise in juxtaposition where you're getting a shot of kids playing in the yard, but then the train filled with uh, Jews chugging along in the background. You see the smoke, the plume of smoke of the Germans bringing the Jews to the camp. And that's just an, a remarkable piece of juxtaposition, which he did so many times. And then using sound design where you'll just, the kids are, like the mom's picking flowers, and then you hear a gunshot in the distance and, or someone screaming uh, from inside the camp. Uh, clearly, like a Jew is being killed or being me- or maimed or tortured. And this idea that this family was creating a, this family like created like a, an oasis. And they kept, this, the, the husband and wife kept talking about like, this is our home, this is a perfect place to live, a perfect place to raise our children. But it's literally connected to hell on earth. And so it was just these juxtapositions were just incredible. And it's when you want, it, it, I've always been like, there's always seems to be too many World War II movies, too many Holocaust movies. But this is a something, it's a new take on it, which I was like, okay, this is a new way to tell a story and to make audiences think about it in a different way. And I would say probably the most powerful part of the film for me was the final five minutes where. We cut. Well, don't spoil the movie for Sorry, so seen yeah, Anthony. okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so it has a powerful ending. It has a powerful ending. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Shit. It's a great ending. <laughs> Woof, close call. Typical Anthony over there. <laughs> anyway, so the best part of the movie is the climax where. <laughs> but man, and it's just, it just un- unbelievable. Let's take a moment to have a break and tell you about our sponsor of our show and the best way to support the show, which is by joining patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. It is the best way to support our show because it is a subscription-based form of support where you get all kinds of perks based on the tier of membership you have. You get access to ad-free versions of every single episode, which you can also link with your Spotify, and listen ad-free on Spotify. You get access to our Discord, which is an incredible film community. We're on there chatting with you. We have watch parties. We just watched Hot Rod last week with (laughs) all the Discords, which was an absolute blast. Over 100 people are in there just chatting it up and talking about film and cinema. Not to mention another great way to support the show is leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We love to read the written reviews out on Apple Podcasts, the only platform you can leave a written review. But leaving a five-star rating, anyone can do if you Even if you don't have iTunes, you can just log in and sign up with an email address. You can leave us a five-star rating review. And why would you want to do that on Apple and Spotify? Because it helps the show grow, helps us get seen in the platforms, as well as at 5,000 Apple ratings, Anthony's going to select a tattoo for me to get on my body somewhere, preferably not the face <laughs> or the ass. <laughs> Another great way to support our show. Now you're going to explain that to the ladies. <laughs> Another great way to support the show is just share us. Word of mouth is... The best way, the best way for a podcast to grow organically, especially word of mouth. Share us with your family and friends who love cinema, who love movies, who love any of the movies that we talk about. We talk about new, old, recent, present, future movies every week. Many episodes. Movies that don't even exist. (laughs) Movies that you haven't even thought about yet. We we, we talk about them. (laughs) So if anyone's interested in that. Share the show with them. (laughs) This episode, of course, is sponsored by our friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code RAIDERS10 at MoviePosters.com to get ten percent off your order right now. We're doing a movie poster giveaway in this episode. So if you want to win a free movie poster from MoviePosters.com, all you have to do is head on over to our YouTube channel and make a comment in the Raiders of the Lost Oscars episode that enters you in to the movie poster giveaway to win a free movie poster from MoviePosters.com. So good luck to everybody. Make a comment in this episode, Raiders of the Lost Oscars on YouTube. MoviePosters.com has a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. These are incredible posters at a great price. So be sure to go to MoviePosters.com for all of your poster needs and use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order. Right now. Let's get back from our commercial break. Commercial break. I love it. To get back into this year's Raiders of the Lost Oscars. What about our intermission? I did not do an intermission. Well, I did one so you can try and guess right, My Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Clearly. I was like, what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do half an intermission. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. There's two people talking. Hey, Mike, this might sound crazy, but I don't think that kid's dangerous. Really? Well, in that case, let's keep it. I always wanted a pet that could kill me. <laughs> Say it one more time. <laughs> Hey, Mike, this might sound crazy, but I don't think that kid's dangerous. Really? Well, in that case, let's keep it. I always wanted a pet that could kill me. I have no idea. Monsters, Inc. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's really good. All right. What year did Bridge on the River Kwai come out? Nineteen ninety? No, nineteen... 85, 57, I have no idea what that movie is, oh it's a war, it's a war movie, yeah I have not seen, I've not heard of it, As Susie said that I'm like pick a decade and just stick to it, just stick to a gun, just pick anything, it's not like you made that movie up, <laughs> what year did The Ground is Hut come out, <laughs> The Ground is Hut, oh my god, The from Ground, the sun the ground beating, is Hut, from the sun beating down on it, full title, who directed the wild into the wild oh who directed into the, wild? into the wild that's sean penn bro there we go sean penn there we go <laughs> you got one spicoli <laughs> my streaming recommendation this week is priscilla which was just added on to max so if you haven't if you never got to see priscilla in theaters check it out on max right now it's really oh, good i forgot max made that deal with a24 for all their distribution streaming platforms yeah any a24 movie you're gonna have to see them on max so they got a good deal in there i have a couple unsubscribes as well so John John Mondello wrote in our Dune episode, can't believe you guys are from Massachusetts like me, but then moved to Cali? Unsubscribed! <laughs> how dare we? And then Jenna Chica wrote on our letterbox recap, every time you say ball rag, I spit out my coffee unsubscribed. <laughs> this is fa- how we say it now. Yeah, <laughs> ball rag. It's <laughs> just funnier. It's just funnier. It's how J. Uh, J. R. R. Tolkien intended it to be said. I saw an interview with him. He's like, it's not Balrog, it's Balrag. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite comment of the week was uh, C. Martindale wrote in our Dune Everything We Know episode I honestly could care less about Dune, but the way these guys get so aroused talking about it makes me actually want to see it. Oh, you can see that? <laughs> I guess the camera angle is too wide. <laughs> shows everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's been the pants That's I gross. was wearing. <laughs> they wearing. can be wearing gray sweatpants on the show. It's the male camel toe. <laughs> camel it's like tail. Ball, dick, ball. It's like a division sign. <laughs> yeah, they're too tight. Those are way too tight. <laughs> yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. Sick reference, bro. <laughs> References are out of control. Let's move on to a five star written review from Duck Butterson. Nice. Great name. Huge fan. Five stars. Love this podcast. Y'all talk. Y'all talk Know Your Movies in our great combo. You have me cracking up most episodes. Thanks, bro. Love to hear it. Appreciate it. Duck Butterson. Duck Butterson. What a great name. I wonder if that's their real name. I don't think their name's Duck. I think it's a good chance that they're (laughs) named Duck. That's a pretty good chance. Duck Butterson? Why else would he... Why else would they put Duck Butterson as their username? Nobody puts the real name for the username on Apple. Sure they do. Zero people do. For example, do. zero people. Do. let me pull up another real name. <laughs> Tim613. That's probably what they were given at birth. <laughs> 613. Mommy plus eight. Eternal Wreck 1994. These All real are, names. These are real names. All real names. real names. So Duck Butterson is definitely the I real name. I stand corrected. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, duck. <laughs> duck. Duck is actually the, in the top ten of baby names of 2024. Do you think anyone's actually named their kid duck, duck? I think people have named their kid everything. Well, yeah, probably. There's probably someone named Duck. Yeah, there's probably someone in America. named Duck. Not like in a different language, but like Duck in English. In, a, in, a, in English? In America or like an English-speaking country. Let me go on Facebook and see if there's a Duck. Well, because there's definitely Duck in other countries, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, and different words have different meanings, so like... Do they? <laughs> Is that, is that, what? Dude, don't talk crazy to me <laughs> A right word, a, a word in one culture would be or a different significance in a different culture. If yeah. it's even said the same yeah. way. Let's see if there's any ducks. People on Facebook. Duck. Yeah, just search duck. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie Duck. Uh, no, I need a first name. Donald duck. Hopkins, Duck or Hop. Um, is duck, duck, a C. Marley. I found one. There's a duck. They're real. They have a thousand friends. Is it really? Does it seem like a first name? Yeah, it's their first name. Yeah, Duck Juan... Yeah. There's a couple ducks out there, man. (laughs) Duck Chi. Duck Duck. Yeah, there's a lot of ducks. It's the most common name in the world, it looks like. Anyways. Thanks, Duck Butterson. Let's get back. Who thought we would be talking about Duck for two minutes? (laughs) As a name. I think I might name my first child Duck. DD. Duck Devaney. DD. All right, let's get into our next category, which is Best Makeup and Hairstyling. Nominees this year are Karen Hartley, Thomas... Susie Battersby and Duck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ashra Ash, Kelly Blue for Golda. Katsu Hero, K. Georgiou, and Lori McCoy-Bell for Maestro. Luisa Abel for Oppenheimer. Wow, she did. She handled both hair and makeup departments. Uh, Nadia Stacey, Mark Coolier, and Josh Weston for Poor Things. And then Ana Lopez Pug, 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 server. Sorry, that was a tough one. David and Marty and Montsi Rebay for Society of the Snow. A lot of these ha- what a lot of these have in common is aging their characters, uh, or with Society of the Snow showing deterioration of, of skin in faces uh, through the elements. I thought that the, the aging makeup on Bradley Cooper for Maestro was really remarkable. And they did a great job on Poor Things as well, aging all of those characters up subtly. And I just was floored by Poor Things. And my favorite makeup of the year was Willem Dafoe's makeup, face makeup for Poor Things. Yeah, it was really incredible. And on Maestro, Katso Hero, he's he's been around. He's worked on some of the best movies in terms of prosthetics. You know, he did Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman. Right. Yeah. He, did he brought our, out of retirement for that. Yeah, right. Bombshell. So he he okay. he transforms people into other people. His work is just sensational. And I watched a a montage clip. Or, or what's it called a time-lapse clip of the makeup that they did for bradley in the yeah. prosthetic work and like once they're done with them it's a different human being it's yeah. really incredible and what's really how the advancement of the prosthetics over the last couple of decades is it doesn't look like it's a person wearing an old mask anymore it does look like it's real skin and they're doing a great job of showcasing like this the it looks like there's real muscle muscle tissue moving as they're speaking and acting and performing it's not like their face is frozen like it used to be and so the advancement of the technology is just getting so realistic and even gary oldman as truman looked phenomenal in that makeup so the prosthetic work in the film industry is just getting so incredible and so believable nowadays it's almost mission impossible-esque yeah legit (laughs) they make it seem too easy though true (laughs) The winner for Best Makeup and Hairstyling for 2023 is Poor Things, the combination of both these, Willem Dafoe's makeup, and then so much fun with the hair and makeup for everyone else in the cast, matching the, the bizarre, absurdist nature of the costuming and the production design. I just had a blast with this film, and I loved Bella Baxter exploring different looks and evolving as a as a woman. Uh, And the hair was really my favorite hair of the year Was as it kept growing And to the point where it was like down to her caps the, The long black hair of Bella Baxter I thought that was just so fun I concur I concur Deserving award Yeah Moving on to our next category Best music for original score Nice We have Laura Cartman for American Fiction The Goat, John Williams for Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny Which is great It's a great score Robbie Robertson for Killers of the Flower Moon. Also incredible. Passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Ludwig Gorenson, Oppenheimer. And Jerskin Fendricks. Poor things. You know, John Williams for Indiana Jones and the All Destiny. There was a good part about that movie, and that was it. John Williams' music. The music was great. And yeah, music, music the, was theme, the theme for um, Phoebe Waller, Bridges' character. Helena. Yeah, Helena's character. I already forgot her name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to forget everything about that movie except for the music. But that, it's a... Uh, one of the most beautiful themes John has written in years. Yeah, it's terrific. It's up there. It's a stunning theme. It's it reminds me of when he wrote Ray's theme for Force Awakens. That one. That's my favorite song from the whole new trilogy of Star Wars. Yeah, race theme is phenomenal. Yeah, it's really terrific. Robbie Robertson really did a terrific job. He's he's done some some work with Scorsese in the past, and he's just they've been friends for a long time. Former rocker, uh, guitarist, just a great musical mind, and and he brought so much of that southern music that southern rock the guitar riffs in in the blues style to yeah. the film in addition to creating such so original beautiful compositions and uh passed away a few months after like a month after the movie came out i believe right or before the movie came, yeah, out. yeah a week before its release yeah, right yeah. before its released, which is tragic so obviously saw the movie i'm sure obviously yeah. but yeah. passed away before it came out and ludwig ludwig's the most exciting film uh film composer right now i think in terms yeah of his age, you know, being like under, I think he's under 40 still. Mm-hmm. And he's just so exciting. He, he's the, hes the new guy. He's, I think he's the new goat. And he's terrific. And Jerskin Fendrix, really creative with the poor thing score. It's sort of, the movie is a, a mix between fairy tale, steampunk, aesthetic, and the, and the music kind of matched it really well, I think, with, with Jerskin. Yeah, the music was just, uh, just as unpredictable and chaotic as the film was. And really cool tones, really cool ideas, and really... Uh, Unique. It reminds me of uh, what Mika Levi does sometimes with uh, their their composition. The string work was really inventive in that in that film it was great. But what Ludwig did was uh, amazing. And there's a great twenty minute spot. Uh, I think it's with Variety as well, where they interviewed him. He actually showed his timeline on his computer, and he only had like thirteen tracks deep for like the main themes. Like he's it's very simple, but complex. Like you, you look at timelines sometimes and people will have like a hundred tracks, but his was so minimalist, um, which I think led to the the strength of the of the score, and he, it was just great to see his process from start to finish and how he writes a theme. And he said that the theme, my favorite part of the interview was he and his wife, the violinist in the in the score, they spent 10 hours trying to come up with like a theme for Oppenheimer, but then they were just trying to do something big and and grand. And then they did a ten-hour session, and at the end of the session, like they were finishing up and they were packing their things up, about to leave the studio, and then he just like came up with like a little idea, and he walked over the to the piano, and he came up with like just a simple sick note, six notes that ended up being the emotional heartbeat of Oppenheimer's theme, and then he then he realized it comes from the the character first and the emotion first, and then we'll build off of that. So that's where the the beginnings of the Oppenheimer score came from, was just like those six notes on the piano that he just came up with out of nowhere. And the winner of Best Music and Original Score at Raiders of the Lost Oscars is Ludwig, Ludwig Gornsen for Oppenheimer. Anthony just went into an a eight-minute rant of why, so I think we just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got to say about that. Next up, we have Best Original Song. The nominees are... The Fire Inside for Elemental. I'm Just Ken for Barbie. It Never Went Away for... Um, shit. I don't know what... I can't remember what movie this is from. I didn't write it down. Da-da-da-da. Whatever it is. Sorry. Never, let me look, <laughs> it, yeah, up. look it up. Yeah, song for my people from Killers of the Flower Moon. And what was I made for? For Barbie as well. So two songs from Barbie. A great set of songs for this year. What what we got for that? Isn't it American Symphony? Oh, American Symphony. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Never mind. You got it. You're good. Yeah, thanks, man. The winner for best original song is What Was I Made For? From Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell for Barbie. Really beautiful, stunning film, song. It worked so well. With Anthony the- read the wrong envelope, everybody. Oh, sorry. Anthony read the wrong envelope! <sighs> Hold on. My wi is not on. It's not La, La Land. <laughs> Hold it up. Why don't you ever have your Wi-Fi on? The actual winner of Best Original Song is I'm just Ken Anywhere else I'd be a friend Anywhere else I'd be a Ted Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just said fuck it. Let's go. I'm just Ken Where I see love, she sees a friend do you have the, th- the lyrics? Oh, re- oh, here's the chorus. Do a performance. <clears throat> and I'm just Ken, anywhere else I'd be a 10. <laughs> Is it my destiny to live and die a life of blonde fragility? <laughs> I'm just Ken, where I see love she sees a friend. What will it take for her to see the man behind the tan and fight for, for me? me? This is my favorite part of Barbie. That was my favorite. Well, the whole musical sequence. Yeah, that was my favorite the part whole too. Se- the whole musical number. I was so excited that whole thing. Yeah. The whole, the whole piece. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. That in that entire sequence, it was so much fun. It is a and blast. it's like, obviously, what was I made for? is a deeply emotional and beautiful song. But I just love the like, the fuck it attitude of I'm just kind of <laughs> like, let's just do this fucking it's ridiculous anthem. song. This is the song that people remember from the movie. Yeah. No one's thinking. No one sings what was I made for. People are singing "I'm just Ken." They yeah. know it. That's the th- that's the song. Yeah, it's like the theme of the movie. It was just it was so much fun. And for me, it it I'm just Ken dance musical number made the movie for me. Same. Yeah, that was well, that was my favorite part, hands down. And I actually snuck in. To, I had I was very early. for Oh, movie, did you? Oh my god! And I snuck into Barbie for after I'd seen it, but I wanted to see like oh, I'll sneak into Barbie. It was in IMAX. So I'm like I I had 20 minutes to kill before my movie opened up doors. And I got there right in time for the entire Just Ken, I'm Just mm-hmm. Ken song and then the dance number. And That's it was, great. It was amazing. Fantastic. It was the best because I love the dance number. I love the fight in the beach and then going into the black suits like the grease dance. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite part of the movie. It's great stuff. Great stuff. So I saw that twice in IMAX actually. <laughs> 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 I'm Just Ken. Next up we have the category of best production design. How about you list off the nominees? Yeah. He, he shucks, I still jumped <laughs> the gun on that one, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Best production design. One of my favorite categories. We have... Sarah Greenwood and Katie Spencer for Barbie. Jack Fisk and Adam Willis for Killers of the Flower Moon. Arthur Max and Ellie Griff for Napoleon. Ruth Dijon and Claire Kaufman for Oppenheimer. And then James, James Price, Shona Heath, and Zusa Mihalik for Poor Things. Tough category, tough year because production design is one of the most, I think, underappreciated parts of cinema and filmmaking. And we're huge fans of production design in film. And this year had astounding production design. I mean, Barbie was so cool yeah. to make just massive Barbie sets, basically. Mm-hmm. Just translate a Barbie place set, a house, a car, but make that a world and make mm-hmm. a reality out of that. And, it, you know, commercials do stuff like that. We've, we've seen that in commercials forever. But to do that with an actual feature is so fun. And yeah. Cool. Um, because of Flower Moon is exceptional. Napoleon, massive sets, really beautiful locations. And then Oppenheimer getting very creative with set direct decoration as well. And so, Ruth the Young, uh, the PD of Oppenheimer, there's a great video from uh, one of the magazines about her process. And the Oval Office scene, they had to build the set the day before they filmed. No because way. they had booked an Oval Office that had been used many times in film and TV. But then they lost the, the location like a week before filming that scene with, Harry, with um, for the Harry Truman scene with Gary Oldman. Wow. And, Gar- and they were like, can we move, can Gary Oldman film any other day that we can get that studio set up? And Gary Oldman's team was like, he's only available this day for the, like, the rest of the year. And so then Ruth the Young, so she's talking to Chris Nolan. She's like, we lost the location. He's like, you're going to have to build it. <laughs> and so <laughs> He's like, sounds like a you problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's like uh, Ethan, Ethan Hunt in the train. In Mission Impossible, Dare Reckoning. She's like, he's like, you have to stop the trade. She's like, how? He's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and so Chris Nolan basically said, okay, you're going to have to build it. And the paint was drying the morning they shot that scene in the Oval Office. That's incredible. That's like SNL, man. They, they yeah. have like two days to build sets or less than a day sometimes. Yeah, it's crazy. But they pulled it off and it's it's great. Great little tidbit from that movie. What a great anecdote, Anthony. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I've watched all the uh, Oscar campaign stuff through the past month, so. Well, the winner for Best Production Design is going to James Price, Shona Heath, and Zusa Mahalik for Poor Things, which was just so creative and inventive. Again, sort of this crazy blend of fairy tale, steampunk, industrial revolution. It is really fascinating to see mm-hmm. just the locations where they were on top of the roof or inside the structures or inside the buildings of the scientists or on the, the cruise ship or in those restaurants, these balconies, these other countries that kind of don't exist. It was just really beautiful and creative, and it was really inventing a new world. And it was comparable to Barbie, where so much of it was was shot inside of sound stages, but it looked remarkable. And I loved the huge LCD backdrops they put in there. And that, I mean, that's part of production design, too. And that's iconic imagery from the films, even just from the first photos released with the skies behind Bella Baxter on the boat. And I just, I loved how there was, like... Only a couple of moments actually filmed in real exteriors. Just a handful. Mostly like walking in the park and stuff. And otherwise, they built everything. And it was just such an impressive display of production. All right, next up, we have Best Sound. One of the most underrated after Production died Another one of the most underrated categories. And this is one they morphed into one category. Yeah, so it's Sound Mixing and Sound Design are now sound. So we have The Creator, Maestro. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Oppenheimer, and The Zone of Interest. Really great stuff, and I'm glad that generally really big epic movies most often get recognition for these, so it's nice to see Maestro in here. It's nice to see Zone of Interest in here, much smaller films. Oppenheimer's sound design was unbelievable, it's terrifying, especially the sequence of the speech and him walking out and just hearing the screams and, and the lack of sound, the omission of sound, and then... Obviously, the huge explosion, the, the, the delay of the sonic boom, uh, it was just unbelievable. And sound was such a major element of that film. The zone of interest was remarkable. Maestro uh, sound design is just remarkable. And then the mixing, especially of the orchestral sequence and the, the uh, operatic sequence of the dancing, musical number, just phenomenal stuff. The winner, though, for best sound of 2023 is the zone of interest. Tarn Wilkers, Tarn Willers and Johnny Byrne win. The zone of interest, like we were talking earlier, the juxtaposition of you're in a peaceful home setting, but you're hearing just randomly sprinkled throughout the entire film. You'll hear the screams of someone in the camp or a gunshot or German soldiers yelling. And the brilliance of the film comes in that we never saw the camp. We never see an image of the camp. We never see anybody inside the camp. Not a single shot. But we hear it in the background. And that it's all the sound design that makes this film worthy of the win. is It's all just sitting in the background. Uh, and so we're watching, we're seeing the, the perfect home, perfect yard, uh, the perfect place to raise children. But behind all that, behind that curtain is horror and there's hell. And Jonathan Glazer's team of sound mixers and designers capture that essence perfectly. Moving on to our next category. Best visual effects. Nominees are... The Creator. Godzilla Minus One. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And... Napoleon. Many of these are very deserving. I'm surprised Oppenheimer didn't get in this nominee list, though. Yeah. Another surprise. Yeah. However... I think this was Marvel's best looking film visual effects wise in years, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. It oh, yeah. really looked terrific when you compare it to movies like Ant Man Three and, and some other recent from in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Guardians of the Galaxy looked flawless visual effects wise. CGI looked incredible. Godzilla minus one we all know. The, the the small budget, but the incredible visuals of that film. The creator looked excellent as well. In Napoleon, awesome. Ridley Scott, you know, he blends CGI in effects in his movies really well, as well as a ton of practical effects. Tons of practical effects in this movie. And Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. It's a Mission Impossible movie. Got to put it on the list. It's epic. But the winner for Best Visual Effects at the Raiders of the Lost Oscars goes to Napoleon, Charlie Henley, Luke Ewan, Ewan, Martin Fenulet, That's a long name. Simone Coco and Neil Corbell. (laughs) Yeah, it's a seven-name name. name. like Dumbledore. (laughs) And Neil Corbell win Best Visual Effects Raiders of Lost Oscar this year at our ceremony. The thing with it is because Ridley... Visual Effects isn't just CGI. It's a blend of everything you're capturing in camera with effects that you're doing in post. the Special Effects. Really? Never mind. I was incorrect about that, everybody. So the reason why we gave Napoleon this award is I thought... Uh, the majority of it was practical, but then since it's Oscar season and and studios release videos about every aspect of production, and I love watching, uh, and I watched all of these actually for most films in one day. I watched the visual effects houses. They do a reel of what they did on whatever film they worked on. And so the visual effects of Napoleon was incredible. Most, like so many sequences, so many of those battle sequences, all CGI, all visual effects, and whether they're shooting a bunch of locations where they were really shot there, but they're expanding with CGI. All of these soldiers, these armors, armored like details, like the camps, the embankments, uh, so many great visuals, Uh, the explosions of the boats, the explosions were visual effects and CGI, although most of the boats were real. But I was just so impressed because when we watched the film, I was like, man, Ridley did so much of that practically. And then you watch the visual effects reel and you're like, holy shit. That's actually not practical. That was insane visual effects that was so good, it tricked me into thinking that they had all these soldiers, really. Unbelievable visual effects because it was masked so beautifully. Seamless. 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 Seamless visual visual effects. effects. Well-deserving. And, I mean, overall, the production of Napoleon was just dynamite, man. Dynamite. Sure was. Dynamite. Let's move on. We got up next is best writing for adapted screenplay. Nominees are Cord Jefferson for American Fiction, who won the BAFTA, uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach for Barbie, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Tony McNamara for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. Uh, this is a very stacked lineup of adapted screenplay nominations. American Fiction was probably the funniest movie of the year. Biting comedy. So much fun. Uh, Zone of Interest for its minimalism and subtlety. Uh, Poor Things just some of the best lines of the year I must go punch that baby (laughs) just great stuff Uh, Barbie was so much fun and then uh, Nolan's adaptation of American Prometheus was otherworldly and so the winner for best writing adapted screenplay is Chris Nolan for Oppenheimer his adaptation of American Prometheus was just a scorching tale Uh, he brought so much depth to it Uh, he I like the dark tone, especially with the ending, uh, and he showed that uh, this story is still relevant, and it's still timely, and it's something that we should never forget. You know, it's Oppenheimer. I think, I think this is Nolan's year. Yeah. For us, it's Nolan's year for sure. Yeah. Let's get to our next category. We have two left. We have Best Writing for Original Screenplay. The nominees are Justine Trier and Arthur Harari for Anatomy of a Fall, David Hemmingson, The Holdovers, Bradley Cooper and Josh Singer, Maestro. Sandy Burke, story by Sandy Burke and Alex Mechanic for May-December. And Celine Song, Past Lives. What a great year. Yeah, tough list. Really, really tough list. You know, we have a biopic in here, but we also have just incredible stories, incredible characters created by all of these screenwriters and filmmakers, and and it really is terrific. But I think for us, there was a a clear winner in... It was Anatomy of a Fall, Justine oh, yeah. Trier and Arthur Harari. I think, really, just even just a couple of scenes sold this movie for me for best original screenplay. Yeah, and yeah, two scenes in particular. If you particular. haven't seen the movie, I don't want to spoil what the scenes are, but they're incredible monologues. But the the idea of the story and the concept is just sensational. Of this woman who's being tried for the murder of her husband after he falls and slips and falls from their house and dies on impact or does he slip does he slip yeah. was he pushed was he did pushed? he slip it's icy it's snowy yeah uh, evidence is washed away by rain it's a very clever idea very clever writing and but then just adding such a, a a great dynamic of of the family elements with the the son who's blind and didn't really see what happened even though he, he knows the environment so well but just adding that in as, as, a, as a, a catalyst for her being guilty or not in, in a major part of the trial, it's just so fascinating. It's such a brilliant idea, and, yeah. and the performances are so well acted, but the characters are really terrific in this movie. Yeah, he's partially blind, by the way. Yeah, partially yeah. blind. And, I mean, we had, great, we had a great love story with Past Lives from Celine Song, beautiful film. May-December was a really interesting story, really interesting screenplay. Maestro was stunning. And then, and then The Holdovers by David Hemmingson, incredible script i believe it's his, sp- his first uh produced fil- uh, script yeah it is what a great debut as a writer i mean i love the holdovers but anatomy of a fall it was just such a strong story and so well written and like you said it's it's two major scenes that really did it for me and i'm so happy it's getting a lot of attention like especially online people will keep posting about uh, especially that that scene in the home yeah, the husband and wife scene like that's getting so that's much love I yeah, think yeah, for me like scene and I also loved her monologue uh, in the courtroom when it was like when they had the psychiatrist on mm-hmm. that they the guy the husband's therapist like yeah. that her monologue there for me like that was unbelievable. What a great way to, she had so much logic behind her and she was using reasoning and logic where everybody else was trying to use emotion. To, to show her as guilty. She yeah. was using logic and reasoning to show why she's innocent, which I thought was so intentional. If she's innocent. Yeah, if she's innocent and so smart. What's interesting, is Justine Justin Trier, Sandra Huller asked her well, before they started filming, is she innocent or not? And Justin Trier is, said, play her like she's innocent, but I'm not going to give you an answer. Mm-hmm. So I like that approach, like play her like she's innocent, that way the audience can really question it. Yeah. Very smart. All right, it's time for our final category of best picture. We had 10 nominees this year. We had American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. A lot of nominees. A lot of fucking nominees. It was a big year, man. It was a great yeah. year for cinema. What are, it's, I mean, it's an amazing year. And uh, so many of these films are incredible. I'd, I'd be happy. I mean, I wouldn't be happy, but I could understand why a few of these could win. Um, Very, very strong year. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall is... So my top three of the year were Oppenheimer, Anatomy of a Fall, and Killers. And those are my three favorites of the year. Um, What were your three favorites? I would say my favorites were probably Oppenheimer and Past Lives. And what else came out this year that might not be in this list that I loved so, so much? Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and... Give me a sec, give me a sec. I'm just running through the list. Um. Hmm. What else? Kills of Flower Moon. Yeah, those top are three. my top three. And if you're gonna put a movie in this list and replace one, what would they be? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I'll do mine first. <laughs> yeah, do yours. I would replace Barbie with the Iron Claw. Yeah, I would put Iron Claw in here, and I would take out maybe the same thing. I think I might take out Barbie too. Yeah, I love Barbie so much, yeah. but I feel like there's maybe a 20, 30 minute window in the center of that film where it just doesn't have the best picture feel. It doesn't. It's not exactly, as strong yeah. as the rest of the movie. I agree. First act, third act are terrific, but in the middle, it loses, it loses me and everyone I've talked to, they felt the same thing. It lost yeah. the audience. So I, I think when you have a best picture nominee or potential winner, the whole movie has to be flawless. I agree. It's uh, that middle part of Barbie. It was fine. It was good, but it just was not the same quality as the rest of the film. Yeah. And so there was a. If you were like gonna have a graph, a spike graph, it dipped for twenty minutes. It just really and it dipped. popped in the third act. Yeah, set and then the it, third act it, transition was yeah. terrific. The third act saved it. But for, I agree. Like when they were in the real world, I was like, it's not. It's kind of okay. It's pretty good, but like not yeah. quite there. I think it could have hit even higher heights if, if the father was involved. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's a movie. I mean, yeah. it's a Barbie movie. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm just saying for best picture. If for yeah. best picture nominee, yeah, I agree. Oh, Laura. But And the Iron Claw was just flawless from start to finish. Top 10 of the year. Great. So that's what I would do. Now, the winner for the Raiders of the Lost Oscar for Best Picture of 2023 is Oppenheimer from producers Emma Thomas, Charles Roven, and Christopher Nolan. Woo! Let's go. Best film of the year. It most likely will go down as the best film of the decade. One of the best of the century. It's just going to be a landmark film for the rest of time for anyone who enjoys film and cinema. Oppenheimer will always be looked back as a uh, uh, incredible piece of cinematic achievement, without a doubt. Yeah, I think it's Christopher Nolan's best movie. You know, I've seen it three times. I've been digesting it for seven months now still, and that's the You're conclusion, like of, uh, that's the conclusion <laughs> I've come to. <laughs> the, yeah, the entire <laughs> IMAX reel took me that long to digest. I, I think it's his best movie, and that's from a guy who's made some of the best movies ever in yeah. the, this century, you know. Um I think Christopher Nolan finally it's his year finally and also Emma Thomas is I think she's one of the most she's the most underappreciated producer in Hollywood yeah I know I, I, nobody ever talks about her and it was great to see her she was on the cover of um, a Hollywood reporter mm-hmm. yes yeah, deservingly that. so I mean she's produced a hand like many of the most loved films of the last 20 years she's an incredible incredible film producer and then Charles Roven, who's been producing Nolan movies since the early days uh, at Warner Brothers, he he was always one, his Warner Brothers producer, mm-hmm. Charles Roven. So they've been collaborating pr- collaborating for so long, and it's great to see them also finally get the recognition because they've made so many great films together. Yeah, yeah. So Charles Roven, uh, Chris Nolan, and then Emma Thomas, a uh, producing powerhouse in Hollywood. And that wraps the Raiders of the Lost Oscars. I'm sure some obvious decisions you knew we'd make. Yeah, yeah. There a couple surprises. We've made episodes on many of these films. So check them out if you haven't. But thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Raiders of Lost Oscars. Be sure to sign up for Patreon today to support us as much as possible. Share us with your family and friends and leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Take care, everybody. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Darian, Tyler McFly, Mark Nikaj,